Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh, my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're going to love it. Hey everybody, John here, and this week on Skip Intro, we've got something a little bit different for you. On today's episode, we sit down with Mitch McTaggart, the host of Binge Originals, the backside of television, and the last year of television, to discuss his series, his love of Australian television, and one particularly odd kids show from the 1970s. Let's jump straight into it. We hope you enjoy. Hey Mitch, thanks for joining us on the pod. For people who aren't familiar with you, those listeners that haven't checked out the backside of television yet or the last year of television, both streaming for you now on Binge, of course. Do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Absolutely. My name is Mitch McTaggart. I guess the best way to describe myself is writer, presenter, archivist which is a new addition to my titles, which have been thrust upon me by people who have watched the show and think that I'm a legit archivist. The Backside of Television is a program all about the weird, fascinating history of Australian TV, uncovering all those forgotten slash disgraceful slash petty moments that are funny. The last year of television is more of a summary of the television that year that's been broadcast in Australia and kind of focusing similarly in that tone. On the pettiness of Australian television. On the the pettiness. I think that's important. It's not a serious review. We're not going to go all Margaret and David on it. Nonsense kind of stuff. But also a celebration of what you love about Australian television. I think the thing I say to people that it's always coming from a place of love because in no way would I be watching so much Australian TV if I hated it. You know, there's always a sense of wonder that comes with me watching it, I think, because there's just so many fascinating things that have happened. Another thing that I'm always saying to people is that TV in Australia is considered kind of this weird lower art to a lot of people. And I feel like we've got a job to do as Australians to kind of remind people like, hey, look, we've got a lot of history that's happened in our media landscape. Let's explore it and look at it and celebrate it. Yeah. And I get like, without getting too intellectual, what a nation makes in its television and consumes its television says a lot about a country. The example I use sometimes is the Ukrainian television. One of their favorite formats is like lie detectors. Like they've got a thing where a lot of shows in Ukrainian television around relationships and lie detectors, you know, Japan obviously has like crazy game shows. And in Australia, we have a lot of different types of bingo that we like to play on television. Very true. We are obsessed with bingo. And the it, it does say so much about a country, I think. And we're also just so doomed to repeat ourselves again and again conceptually and never really seem to learn from mistakes which I feel like is an Australian quality in itself yeah something beautiful about it it really is obviously you dedicate a lot of time and energy to being this television archivist have you been able to like reflect and pinpoint on some sort of earliest memory of television or what it was that sort of sparked this interest in you so a thing that I remember obsessing over was recording TV shows because uh, with a VCR, I mean, so like for, for the, the, the youngins listening here, you could program different things on a VCR, like multiple shows, like one after the other. And this was pre G code as well. I was about to mention, reference. I was about to mention G code. That was a, yeah, that so was a we, we, big moment in my family's household. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, pre G code, I would program up to like five or six 
different show. So I had no interest in, in watching at all, but my goal was purely to see if I could fill up the three hour tape from just recording different programs throughout the night. And then I'd also make up TV guides. Like I just, I'd, I'd run essentially my ideal TV station with just shows for the entire day on a little typewriter. I was a nerd. And I mean, I still am, obviously. Sorry, that's that's not in dispute at all. Yeah. That was the earliest memory that I have. I'd love to give you a specific TV moment that I watched as a kid that made me kind of go, oh, TV is great. But I don't know if there is one. I think we just always had a, like a TV in the house and that kind of interest grew from there. I, I recently saw a TikTok that compared a conversation between two kids in the 90s, one who had Foxtel and one who didn't, because I think that was quite a divide growing up, especially like, you know, on the primary school recess field kind of thing, whether or not you had, you know, Nickelodeon or Optus Vision or Ozstar or wherever you were in the country. Were you a, like a subscription TV household growing up? No, just just normal, boring, free to wear. Oh, wow. To, yeah. to, to the point where I think that, drove my interest a lot more because I, I i guess in a way i was aware of what i was missing out on already purely purely in the the quantity of content that even as a kid already existed and there was just you know so much out there i i wanted to see as much of it as i possibly could yeah so in the backside of television you do cover a couple of interesting genres you go for quite a deep dive in a few of them you talk about psychics which had a weird moment in television for some reason you talk about game shows especially again the weird obsession we had with bingo for some reason you do an excellent episode on children's television which i think we should talk about more in a second and you also touch on the the genre that i was unaware of but had a, a hot minute of popularity in australia being shock based crime yeah, <laughs> that happened. I think you should hear it, sir. All right, please. The shark killed last night in Surface Paradise. I sent the shark. I could send one. I could send hundreds. I could choose the time. I could choose the place. If you contact the police, I will know. The price is $2 million. You have one week. What do you make of that, Chief Inspector? It, uh, look, there's this... I, I don't actually know what it is about Australian TV. And I'm sure if you tried hard enough, you could find connections with all sorts of different shows. But I feel like cop shows and shark crime are so specific that it is such an anomaly when it happens more than once. And there's just this, I, I, I don't understand who thought sharks and crime go together, but then that same kind of shared thought where it just happened again 40 years later. And so the, the two shows that, that I analyze in the backside of television, one called Bite Club, which is a 2018 Channel 9 shark crime drama. And then the other one was a Channel 10 telemovie called Shark's Paradise, which was back in 86, I think. And both of them are just unhinged. But I guess if you're going into a show knowing that it's shark-based, you're not going to be disappointed. And I can kind of understand the marketing sense in that because it does exactly what it says on the tin. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's obviously pre-chat GPT, but it almost feels like a, a an AI-invented TV show. Like, people like crime, people like sharks. Let's 
yeah write a yeah, script absolutely. It, it, it's it's wild that that those two ideas were ever mushed together and to be honest in no way do i think that they're the only two shark crime shows there may very well be another one I, i'm sure there's Who? plenty in development right now oh god amazing let's do one yeah well speaking of that there's a lot of things australian television does a lot of shark crime for example there's a lot we don't do a lot of at the moment things like multi-camera sitcoms for example at various times through Australian history sort of genres we just don't touch for whatever reason is there something you'd like to see more of on, on Australian television that bring, bring back the tv movie or the multi-cam I do miss uh, a good tv movie there have been quite a few that uh, were you know fantastic for, in, in their time and still hold up reasonably well today I think Australian TV now leans far too heavily into the telemovie biopic. And I'm surprised that the public is not exhausted by it, just in terms of the quantity. Yeah. And I, I, would, I would love telemovies to, to be used for much more interesting concepts or, or rather original things. And there's, I mean, I guess it's kind of an obvious example, but when Return to Eden premiered on, on Channel 10 in 80, I want to say 83. And like, that was, it was bonkers, but it was an original show and it was great. And like that, that alone makes me quite fond of those times. And yeah, now it's just all Ward. We we did seem to correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like we went through a time of TV movies almost being used as like pilots for shows. Like, what wasn't McLeod's Daughters or Red Center? Like, wasn't there a time where you'd kind of get a TV movie, and then a year later you'd then turn it into a series? Correct. We did go through an era, and all those shows you mentioned, McLeod's Daughters, The Alice, even Return to Eden, ultimately were, I guess unofficial pilots on with varying levels of deliberateness emerald falls was one as well that tried to do the whole pilot telemovie thing and didn't come through another one which i'm just obsessed with little oberon i don't know if anyone knows this so sigrid thornton tasma walton and i can't remember the other the other actress they're in like a rainforesty type setting and it's a little bit magical I'm really sorry I'm sorry. I wish I was dead. Honestly, they got points for doing something different. And I wish we would go back to those kinds of things, whether they're using the telemovie format to just test something out. I think I, I, it's an exciting time when, when that used to happen. And yeah, let's bring all that back, I reckon. Yeah. As a format, it seems perfect for testing out new things, except now at this point, it's almost exclusively used for like fast turnaround, ripped from the headlines, biopic crime things. Totally. Bringing up the Warney thing again. It, th that one in particular, it, it feels so sudden. Yeah. Like, I mean, th there obviously wasn't a large amount of time between Shane Warne's death and, and it going into production and so that just i guess factoring in the writing and production time as well is just like oh god it's so quick yeah like i feel like even i think someone wrote an article about it 
this week or last week, like asking TV networks if, if any of them were going to do a like a mushroom drama thing. And it's like the case isn't even like in the courts yet. And someone, I have no doubt someone is, you know, writing the first draft of a, of a mushroom telly movie right now. Absolutely. And just on that, I know that under investigation with Liz Hayes doing a, a story on it, even though they're derailing the concept of their own show, which normally focuses on cold cases, but they're pumping this one through just to, yeah, you know, get some content out there, which is interesting. Yeah. So TV movies we want to see more of. This might be an easier mm-hmm. question. <laughs> Something you want to see le- sure. less of? Ooh. I think just relationship dramas or the the whodunit murder mysteries. Like, I, we really murder a lot of women, I think. And it would be nice to see a drama series that isn't based around a murder. Because the, the, thing, that, the thing that really bothers me with the way Australian TV does murder mystery is that if you were to take away... The, the tension of who did it, you know, the, the, that kind of suspense, you don't have a very interesting show. Yeah. I think that is a good indicator of how heavily we're relying on that trope to kind of push everything forward. And one show that really stands out as a great example from the UK is Happy Valley, which is also on binge. Streaming on binge, yeah. And, absolutely. And like l- legit, that is one of the dramas I've ever seen and it just happens to have a crime angle to it but the identity of the culprits not unknown to the audience and so the primary tension and suspense is not from who's going to be revealed as the killer or or the suspect or anything like that and and so it gives you the chance to just explore so many other things regarding like characters and, and plot and all that kind of stuff and it's just so engaging Catherine, by the way, I'm 47, I'm divorced, I live with my sister, who's a recovering heroin addict. I have two grown-up children, one dead, one who doesn't speak to me, and a grandson. Why? Why don't you speak to you? It's complicated. Let's talk about you. This might just be a way for me to get you to talk about carrots, but I did want to ask Mm. you, in all your sort of research, maybe with your, like, you know, TV executive hat on, Are there things that you've come across that felt like way ahead of their time or like should be brought back or that you just thought like not enough people saw at the time? That is a great question. I have never come at watching archival material with that consideration. I've I've started inquiring about an old show knowing that it has been sort of it has it has failed or, or been infamous in some way, and I guess for everybody listening as well, the the show Carrots is explored in the backside of television, and it's a children's sitcom drama from 1979, and it was a very confusing attempt from Channel Seven to try and create a children's program to get a C classification so it could be broadcast during the the specific C period in on, on weekdays. And it was just an absolute mess. It was so confusing and, and just not entertaining for a child at all. Carrots, ATN7's attempt at a children's show, is probably best described as a sitcom, soap opera, show within a show. Undoubtedly all the keywords that any six-year-old looks for in a TV program. 
It follows a group of cast and producers during their daily struggles producing the fictitious Funny Bunny Show for Channel 7. There's endless studio admin, relationship dramas between adults and older characters panicking about being bald. Real relatable stuff. And in the most confusing detail, Moses the Rabbit is constantly referred to as an actor in a bunny suit. What, in your rabbit suit? Why do you think they put you in a rabbit suit in the first place anyway? But drives to work in costume, walks inside with it on and keeps it on all day even when he's behind the scenes. Perhaps it makes sense then that none of the characters dare address this lest they acknowledge that he's clearly shitting in the suit. Well, speaking of carrots, because I can't get enough of it, you, as you said, in Backside of Television, you do a great segment on the C classification, the sort of regulations around the network's obligations to make children's television, which obviously had a big impact on the industry because it was a sort of regulation and obligation on them. And it did give us a lot of really experimental, interesting television that even I look back on now growing up with, you know, I used to like try to make sure I was home by 4.30 because Channel 9 were playing some insane children's sitcom at that time every day. And that obviously had a sort of, I guess, a, at least a largely positive impact on Australian television landscape at the time. Are there any sort of inflection points like that in Australian history that you look at that have either resulted in sort of really positive moments of creativity and experimentation or the, the opposite have sort of killed that? I feel like the industry is so small and so part of me is like I'll take whatever content we're given because it's it's so hard to get that kind of larger scale prestige drama up and running. I feel like the main motivator for at least commercial networks to make drama is more just to show up the other networks. It feels really driven by just this petty competition rather than any kind of frameworks that have encouraged good things yeah which sounds really it sounds really negative but like i i'm sure there are several instances of genuine ideas coming through for no other reasons other than this is a great idea let's do it i'm glad that children's tv got the leg up that it did because i think it's been it's been so important and we're still copying all the benefits of it i think it's 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 something that's always going to be there the aftermath of it all i think yeah and it's good that being forced to do something can result in good things yeah and I guess, you know, Australia's largest cultural export at the moment is like a little 10-minute show about a dog in Brisbane. So who knows if we would have had that or not if it wasn't for all the children's television that came before it. Absolutely. It wouldn't exist yeah. without all the stuff that happened before it. Well, speaking of shows with amazing opening titles and theme songs, I do know you're a bit of a fan of like the slightly lost art these days of opening titles. You talk about it in one of the episodes i think a lot of shows these days are guilty of basically just typing the words of the show up for a, for a few seconds and then disappearing are there any that you look back on incredibly fondly is there a peak in this sort of art form for you or do you or but and equally can you sort of understand why cynically it's not what it used to be in today's like streaming world yeah, totally. And I think to, to answer the first party question, one of the best opening titles that, that I, I think in, in Australia is Tangle, which is a Foxtel drama. So Tangle, I think, is one of the best um, opening title sequences. It's just so pretty and it's just it's so nice to look at. And I find myself watching it every time and like not skipping it 
because there's always these it's so detailed there's there's so much stuff going on and i just think it's it's really really pretty and sweet and the music is great as well to answer the second part of your question i can understand the reasons why we've kind of walked away from opening titles as an industry because streaming wise it's not ideal to have them kind of there especially if you're binging a show it's it would be quite infuriating to keep hearing the i don't know friends theme song which is so irritating even even when you're not watching that all in a row it's just like oh god this again but yeah look i i think I, that kind of partially justifies it for me but part of me still thinks we could do it if we tried yeah we could do just like a slightly shorter one or just something that's that is you know five or ten seconds really detailed really beautiful just a little little splash you know i'd be happy with that instead of just the name flashed on screen it's just so uninspiring yeah i'm sure you're aware of this but one of the more celebrated opening title professionals in the world is is an australian uh, patrick clare who basically every hbo opening title for the last few years and every emmy for the main title design is something that he and his team has produced. So another great Australian export. <laughs> oh, I, I did not know he was Australian. Yeah, yeah. He I believe he got his start on Hungry Beast doing all those graphics and Oh wow. Yeah. Now he's got a I assume just a room full of Emmys for all those great opening titles he's made. God. That's that's encouraging actually. It's it's good that there's still that acknowledgement of the lost art of it. Yeah. You know, that's hopeful for all yeah if for no other reason than to like maybe win an emmy yes yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i mean everybody just just get back on it uh because then you could probably win an emmy yeah yeah so mitch i'm not, not going to take up too much of your time your show is on binge you sit next to what we like to think at binge as some of the world's best television you obviously speak very passionately about australian television the good and bad of it but would love to hear any hidden gems or anything that you would personally recommend people people check out on binge absolutely and what i'm going to do is i'm just going to bring up my binge list in the in the app because i could try and commit all these to memory but not so oh i've already forgotten about the ones that i was going to talk about sally forever I'm not sure if if I like I have recently rewatched like everything Julia Davis has ever done and I yeah. absolutely loved Sally Forever. Oh, it's just so great and disappointingly only 7 episodes but a very satisfying 7 episodes mind you and the thing that gets me is that I just cannot believe how fast the plot moves and how every episode it's just so much worse. Yeah. It's just so much more excruciating, but in a in a really fantastic screaming at the television, horrified kind of way, yeah. and it's just it's just great. Yeah. <laughs> another one, Gentleman Jack, which is an, another one that was kind of cut short, but still quite a satisfying two series made by the same team as Happy Valley, which I mentioned before. That's it's great. What a cool romp about a really cool old school lesbian i'm not the other woman she is we are respectable ladies do you think anyone who knows the first thing about ann lister believes that it's just great yeah and it's i've actually in 
my show spoken quite a bit about how whenever a gay character is in Australian drama, they're most likely suffering because of it. They're, you know, struggling with being gay and just, you know, hating themselves, whatever. But Gentleman Jack is just a great example of a LGBT character being just super chill. Yeah. Like it's not a defining aspect of her character. And I think that's just, it's fascinating. And it's such an entertaining show as well. Anyway, I could, I could talk about every single show in, in this detail, but I'll, I'll burn through them a bit quicker. Uh, Mr. Inbetween, fantastic. Uh, the 12, also pretty great. Um, uh, Nolly, I'm getting through that. That's just so engaging and fun to watch. Steven Universe, uh, Raised by Wolves, I have not watched yet, but it is on my list. I really want to check it out. I think I, I it looks like a show that I would like. Um, what else have I got? Uh, Chernobyl, obviously. I mean, that feels like a bit of an obvious one. Barry, another one. And how many do you need? I've got heaps. No, no. That, that, <laughs> that is great. I, the fact that you started with, with Sally Forever, I think, yeah, is, is if not enough people have seen Sally Forever, please, please start, start with that. You okay? It's just I'm with someone. You in love with her? It's a him. I'm just fed up with you saying I'm boring and predictable. But my penis is too small. I never said it was too small. I just said I couldn't feel anything. Yeah, it's 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 pretty great. And I just saw as well Scott and Bailey, which is another one that done by Sally Wainwright, who did Happy Valley and Gentleman Jack. It's a really great police procedural, but with so much more realism and heart about it. It sticks out substantially, I think, in, in the whole kind of era of, of police procedurals because it is so different and so unique because it's just such a grounded story and it's so realistic. But anyway, there's another one uh, talking about all of the shows. The one thing I love to bring up about Sally Forever, and I used it as an excuse when The White Lotus was airing. I don't know if you've seen The White Lotus, but highly recommend if you haven't. The first season of that has like a very iconic scene, which made a lot of noise at the time. And the first thing that I brought up when I saw, and I won't spoil it, so this is very vague, but the first thing that came to mind was they do this in Sally Forever. So everyone thought it was quite like shocking in in The White Lotus, but I'm like, if you think that's shocking, watch watch Sally Forever. And I know what you're talking about as well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> So if that doesn't make you want to watch The White Lotus, Mitch, I don't know what will. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but yes, thank you. Thank you so much for those recommendations. Thank you so much for your series on Binge. Every episode of The Backside of Television is streaming and the last few years of the last year of television is also streaming. Mitch, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs>